Hi everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And today we will be diving into one of our favorite categories of the Oscars, Best International Feature. We will be discussing Parasite, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Fanny and Alexander. Those three movies are record breakers at the Oscars in that they won four Oscars apiece. No international film has won more than that. So we will be talking about all of those wins, how it happened. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about these today. I think they're all really great films. Yeah, I agree. I also love this category. It's one of my favorites to follow. This is one of those categories where we get a short list. So I think it's even more fun to watch from those 15 films trying to predict the five, and trying to watch as many as I can. And I think these three movies are incredible. We'll get into why these won, but I think they're an interesting three. They're all submitted from different countries, and it shows how varied the Academy can be with choosing their winners. Absolutely. They're so different, and they're all by fantastic filmmakers. Bong Joon-ho, Ang Lee, Ingmar Bergman. Like If you start with any of their films... It's going to be a great journey ahead for you, really. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this would be a fun, they won for that theme kind of thing. Not in a bad way, just like to see how they progress through their careers. And like if we think they should have won for something else or we think they should have had multiple wins. Not to step on my answer to that question, (laughs) but I actually think there's a case to be made that these three movies are each director's best film. Okay. It's not a bad take to have. Yeah. (laughs) I think there's some wiggle room with some of them. But Mm -hmm. for our first movie, Parasite, I don't think anyone will have an objection to that comment that this is Bong Joon-ho's best film. (laughs) If they do, that pause button is right there. You can just turn it off or skip to Crouching Tiger (laughs) in a track. Yes. You'll see the timestamp right there. (laughs) Because, yeah, this movie for me, I put on the Criterion and even the menu. I was like having heart palpitations (laughs) with the score giving me these fond memories of watching it for the first time. So for people who haven't watched it, I am so jealous of what you will experience when you watch it. But also everybody who's seen it, I hope you like it as much as I do. Bong Joon-ho is an incredible filmmaker and every moment of this movie is planned out so well and can be broken down into fine parts and different critiques of, again, like last week, socio-political commentaries. And I love breaking that down scene by scene, which we won't do today. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. Parasite is one of those movies where I think I sensed how big it could be when I first saw it. Not in the sense that like, oh my God, this could win Best Picture. I didn't see that right away. But I saw just how it was connecting with people because when I first saw it, the theater was packed. And this wasn't like a press screening or anything. This was just your regular moviegoers deciding to go see a South Korean thriller on a Thursday night. And the thing about it was after the movie, you saw that beautiful thing crowds of people standing around outside the movie theater talking about it trying to break Mm. it down figuring out what it means running all of those images by your friends like that was so fun to do with this movie and 2019 was a really strong year for film 
And this was, I think, that movie that everyone could agree on, which is sort of crazy, too, because it's a Korean thriller. <laughs> they can be challenging. Like, they, I love them, but my one of my favorite movies from 2018, Burning, definitely not as easy to access as this one for audiences, mm-hmm. I would say. So it hits that sweet spot of being a really challenging, beautiful piece of filmmaking and being that word that we hate to say, crowd pleaser. It really is. I mean, I, did, I don't know many people. I can't even think of one person who didn't like Parasite. Maybe they just avoid me because they yeah. know I'll try to like talk their <laughs> ear off and be like, here's why you're wrong. <laughs> we won't go super in depth today on Parasite because we spoke about it on our can episode last year. We talked about the Palme d'Or winners that translated to Best Picture Oscars. So that was about Marty and Parasite. We left out The Lost Weekend because that was a year at Cannes where they awarded 11 Best Picture winners. So that was like before they had one sole winner. But definitely go back and check that episode out. We talk about it more in depth and what we love about it so much. But at the Academy Awards, it won four Oscars for Picture, Director, Original Screenplay, and international feature, and then was also nominated for two others for production design and film editing. So why do you think that this is one of those international features that won four Oscars? I think it's really a combination of factors, but I think, you know, we've only had one international feature in history that's won Best Picture, and for an international feature to win that award, I really believe that you have to be unimpeachable. To win picture, director, and screenplay, too, those are huge competitive Oscars. Those are the big Mm -hmm. ones. And your film essentially has to be perfect, but it also had a cast that the actors supported. So we can get to the individual nominations and the lack thereof later. We got a question about that. But I think winning SAG Ensemble and seeing the love for it in the room, it had genuine support and was a perfectly constructed film again undeniable that i think that's why it won the big ones and why it won them in such a competitive year it built momentum at the right time and it's one of the best best picture winners in history to your point about a movie like this needing to be perfect it's true but it's unfair i know because there have been way worse best picture winners that are nowhere near perfect but what Bong Joon-ho did was perfect and that's what needed to be done and then looking at SAG yeah the standing ovation the cheers from the crowd it was amazing to see maybe you get that from year to year but I felt like this was especially telling and that's kind of what started the ball rolling for it to maybe actually win at the Oscars And I think, too, right, we probably should have said this at the beginning, but the fact that there are only three international films that have won four Oscars, it's just, I mean, it's terrible. You look at, like, all of the films throughout history from other countries, from the French New Wave to Italian neorealism, you have such a rich history of filmmakers who are making films in languages other than English Mm -hmm. who deserve far more than what they got from the Academy. And I think a good double feature to Parasite for a movie that was a searing blind spot for the Academy is The Handmaiden, made by another genius, Park Chan-wook. This movie not being nominated for 
anything enraged me that year. Like, it should have won yeah. cinematography. So, yeah, I think way more international features need to be nominated in other categories, and I think they deserve it. And, yeah, I'm all here for it. I know you've heard us both talk about it previously on why this needs to happen. Oh, my God. And The Handmaiden. I mean, Park Chan-wook has another movie coming out very soon at Cannes, Decision to Leave. So I'm hoping he is able to get his due at the Oscars. Mm Mm-hmm this coming year because that will also give us an opportunity to do a little retrospective (laughs) and talk about his movies more which I would love to do so I think bouncing off of this question I want to ask like how did this one picture and director when Sam Mendes in 1917 were leading all award season even leading up to the day of the Academy Awards I feel like Parasite was not favored to win. Yeah, I mean, I predicted 1917 and Sam Mendes. So I think it's a momentum thing coming off of SAG for sure for Parasite, but also the Academy is a much more international body than DGA, PGA, BAFTA. Guilds are always more populist. So I think looking at that, like 1917... The reason why it infuriated me that 1917 was winning all of these awards all season was I was like, I just kept thinking, like, I think I've seen this film before. And I have many times. Like, 1917, I actually really enjoyed watching it. I'm not going to say it was a bad film, but it was nothing new. And mm-hmm. I think that the Academy, they had the parasite fever. I mean, they were, they knew they had something special and... What kind of passion does 1917 have compared to Parasite? And that is the passion vote comes through. Just like we saw with Moonlight. I mean, that was a passion vote for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when you boil the movies down to a technical war film versus this profound family drama and what you want Best Picture to emulate, I think in that way it's easy to want Parasite And to think, oh, looking back on the winners, 1917. I mean, I've never seen it again. I've I've never revisited it. I did that year, and the rewatch was not as stunning, which was kind of upsetting because I did really like it on first watch. But it won three awards in technical categories, which is where it should have been. Deacons. Yeah, that first win, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Career win, yeah. Crazy. And then we also got another question from Twitter from Connor Lorenz. Do you think Parasite would have won Best Picture in any year since 2016? And I think he chose 2016 because that was when Moonlight won, Mm -hmm. which is another, I would say, like similar, very cool win. I would say yes, since 2016. But that year itself was so heated between Moonlight and La La Land. I feel like to throw Parasite in there... It could have won by vote splitting, but I don't think it would have been like, I need to vote for Parasite. I mean, if you look at Parasite's year in 1917, La La Land becomes the technical picture. And I think Moonlight is still that passion favorite. Yeah, that's really hard. It's interesting to think about the other movies in the mix for each year. I'm saying it would have beaten Green Book. I think it saves us from that. Because I'm not entertaining Green Book beating mm-hmm. it. I'm just, I'm not going to do that to myself. I think 2017, it would be tough with Get Out in the mix um, because that was the screenplay winner. Um, and that's a similar, like, you have a social commentary there. But mm-hmm. I still, 
I don't know. I think it would have won based on passion because the shape of water, I don't know. I think we get more passion votes for parasite than the shape of water. But so much of this is right place at the right time. Yeah. The right release year. I think it would have beaten Moonlight 2, but I would have voted for Moonlight instead. Yeah, that's the one year I can't really figure out because I do think it beats Coda pretty easily too and mm-hmm. even Nomadland. Nomadland is tricky because Nomadland is a story about isolation in a pandemic year. So it feels very of the moment of the year. But Parasite is just so strong. Like, it's just so forceful. You can't mm-hmm. ignore it. Whereas Nomadland is so much quieter. But yeah, I, I would still think it would win every year. And your comment about La La Land being like the technical player. In 2019, the challenger to Parasite wasn't a movie that anyone deemed problematic. We had Joker and Jojo Rabbit that year. <laughs> they were taking all of the this is problematic related heat. Mm-hmm. In 2016, that all went to the runner-up. I don't know. Challenging question. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? Best Director for Bong Joon-ho. It's his total vision. Every single step of the way, you feel like you are in a confident master's hands, and he's guiding you to all of the right places and making you think afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I would say that. Yeah, even more than screenplay, which he wrote, and this is one I would give picture, but I agree, director. It's just such a clear vision, and it's like strokes of an artist's brush the entire time. The colors, it's so rich, the details, the movements, I love it all. Okay, so now we'll be talking about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Description here, a young Chinese warrior steals a sword from a famed swordsman and then escapes into a world of romantic adventure with a mysterious man in the frontier of the nation. This won four Oscars for foreign language film, art direction, cinematography, and original score, and was nominated for six others in picture, director, adapted screenplay, costume design, film editing, and original song. I think what's notable here, just looking through the award season, was that it also won DGA, four BAFTAs for director, film not in the English language, costume design, and music, two Golden Globes for foreign language, and then director, and then best cinematography at the New York Films Critics Circle and People's Choice at TIFF. So this was a strong leader in many categories. Yeah, and... It was fun to go back and look at predictions from the time to see what different journalists were thinking would happen at the Oscars, and nearly everyone thought that Ang Lee was going to win Best Director. Instead, of course, that went to Steven Soderbergh for Traffic. But yeah, I think it is curious how the Academy embraced it. Certainly, it got 10 nominations. It had four wins. But this is a case where the Academy said, Best Picture winner... No, you belong in the foreign language film category. That's how I see it and why it fell short in Best Picture and Director. So why do you think this is one of the three films that won four Oscars? So I think right off the bat, this film was the first foreign language movie to make over $100 million in the U.S. I nominated it on our popular Oscar game of the 2000s (laughs) because it crossed that threshold and I could. Yeah. Having audience success and critical success, that's like right off the bat, thumbs up for the Oscars. 
And then it was also the first international film to receive 10 nominations. Later on, Roma would also match that. But again, almost a 20-year difference between that happening. And then, like on rewatch, because I hadn't seen this in a very long time, I found the story to be incredibly beautiful and epic. But when you break it down, it's a simple good versus evil. I think it appeals to anybody. And the acting is great. It's the scenery, the action, the camera movements. Everything is so stunning to watch. And that, I think, is the one thing I remembered from when I saw it as a kid was the scene of them fighting through the trees mm-hmm. and those like majestic flying moments. It's a movie so ingrained in Chinese culture and understanding where these characters are coming from, the ideals that they're either fighting against internally or have to face. It's a specific tale, but it's something that anybody can understand. I love this movie. I think it's so beautiful. And I really love Ang Lee films, specifically this, Brokeback Mountain, and Sense and Sensibility. Because as you know, I love a good love story about repression and, you know, not being able to fulfill your desires. These characters definitely feel that. And I think that the buildup to the fight sequence that we get with Jade Fox is incredible flawless and then all of a sudden people are flying around running up walls and it is just glorious i caught myself when i was re-watching this saying wow and oh my god out loud <laughs> as i was watching it because it is just so beautiful and you know i'm not the biggest action movie person i don't care for comic book movies like this not that this is a comic book movie but Movies with these big, elaborate fight scenes and sequences are not usually for me. But this one is different. I feel like it cares so much more about the characters. And like you said, it is a simple story, but it's just shot so beautifully. And Ang Lee is so good at capturing close-ups where there's emotion there. You get what all of these characters are feeling, no matter how deep-seated the feeling is or how much they're trying to hide it. So I really, I love that. And I think it's a very heightened emotional experience, but technically so beautiful. And yeah, I think I think it's just, it's a stunning movie with great performances as well. All of those battle sequences are one shot impeccably, but mm-hmm. two, just so fun to watch. You have that first yeah. one at night and then you get one in the dining hall mm-hmm. where when you see all of those men walking up, to Jen just drinking her tea and then Mm -hmm. she starts to fight him holding the tea that sent me and then the last big fight sequence between Shu Lian and Jen that was almost too much I loved it Mm -hmm. so much (laughs) seeing Michelle Yeoh just pull weapon by weapon fighting Jen with the green destiny she's smashing tables chairs the stones in the floor in half. I was like, Ooh, I need a breather. This is hot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a fun time. It's a good time. It goes by really quickly. Mm-hmm. I was so surprised by that because for some reason in my memory, it was like much more of a slower period piece with action sequences. Yes. But one that like moved at a different pace. And I was watching it this time. 
I got up for a second. Pa- I paused it. I thought maybe 20 minutes had passed, and we were an hour in. <laughs> like it was really, it really does just keep going. The momentum of the of the movie has a very propulsive narrative, which I really responded to, and I feel like. I realized when I was gushing about the movie that I didn't answer the question of why is this one of the three films that won four Oscars. I think it is definitely a combination of how well crafted the film is, but also how well American audiences responded to the story, both its popularity at the box office, but also American critics um, lifting it up. I, I think that while the Academy is getting more um, international in 2000, it wasn't as much so. And I think in order for an international film to break through in the way that this one did, it did have to have an appeal to American audiences. And this one does that. And we also have to think too, I mean, Ang Lee had made Sense and Sensibility already, which was a hit at the Oscars. So he was a filmmaker who had already been embraced. And he even pitched this movie to Michelle Yeoh as sense and sensibility with weapons i believe or sense and sensibility with violence so i love that i love that too (laughs) something that would entice me to be in this movie as well (laughs) so why don't you think this one best picture or do you think it should have our other nominees that year were gladiator traffic aaron brockovich and chuck a lot and then soderbergh won director and adapted for traffic So I actually don't dislike Gladiator like a lot of people do. I find it really entertaining. But Gladiator is one of those epics similar to Ben-Hur where a certain type of Academy member, older male voters in particular, respond really well to this movie. Gladiator was also an incredibly popular movie. did really well at the box office. It did well critically. And it was the type of movie that I think Academy voters missed at the Oscars. Like an epic is an old favorite. So I feel like that is one of the reasons why that won. Traffic, though, was also such a big contender. Steven Soderbergh was nominated twice in Best Director that year, which hasn't happened since, right, for Traffic and Aaron Brockovich. And Traffic is a story about a very serious topic, right? It's about drugs. And it has all these different narratives woven together. And that type of movie was also becoming very popular with the Academy. And it's an issues movie. Academy members love issues movies. As sad as it is, I mean, I think Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was probably third for Academy voters that year, even. Um, Because director and adapted screenplay for Traffic, those are big wins. Mm. And... It's a red flag. I think that Ang Lee didn't win when he had won all of those precursor awards. I think as far as should it have won, yes, I personally would have voted for it in picture and director. It's the best made film, I think, of the bunch. And the one that ages really well, if you're thinking of the other best picture nominees. This is a really weird year, too. Poor Ang Lee. He always gets, like, the weirdest years. Like, this and Brokeback and Crash. Oh, my God. Poor guy. Yeah. Looking back at it now, having this split, but the director winning for traffic just seems really odd because I think it should have gone to Angley, but I don't dislike traffic. It is funny to think about how that type of movie, like this basically becomes 
the format of Crash as well. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, the way he just keeps getting beaten by these types of movies. One day he's going to be like, I'm going to make one like this. <laughs> Joke's on you. But I think picture is tough because, yeah, Gladiator makes sense. This is probably more epic than Crouching Tiger is. And I think with Crouching Tiger's other wins, they're all in technicals or below the lines. And just right off the bat, we have Russell Crowe winning for actor. Even though it should have been Christian Bale for American Psycho. Continue. (laughs) You were waiting for that. I was. I was waiting so patiently. I was like, am I going to have to bring this up myself? And you just teed me up. No, it should have been Tom Hanks for Castaway. (laughs) I mean, okay, of the nominees, but of the year, no. But also, speaking of Tom Hanks and Castaway, pundits at the time predicted him, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's really interesting to read. Shows you how wrong people usually are about these sorts of things. It's Mm -hmm. all just guessing. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the only above-the-line win for Gladiator. It won other technicals, but I think that's a good push for it for picture. Completely agree. Actor support, like, that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. And then we got a question from Cesar Award winner Baby Annette. Were you Team Lee for a Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon win? If so, do you think he wins his other two Oscars, or does his wealth get spread? So the other two Oscars Baby Annette is talking about here are both of the best director wins, one for Brokeback Mountain, the other for Life of Pi. Yes, I'm Team Lee here, and I think he still wins for Brokeback Mountain, but honestly, I wouldn't be upset if he didn't win for Life of Pi. But I guess the simple answer is him not winning here got voters more motivated to give it to him in the future. So I'm not mad about that. I agree. I also mentioned that I would vote for him. I actually think he has three if he wins for this too. I think he definitely wins for Brokeback Mountain. He is the type of director who makes really technically beautiful films, and that is often what's embraced in Best Director. He's clearly a director people like. I personally wouldn't have voted for him the Life of Pi year. I would have voted for and nominated Paul Thomas Anderson for The Master, but I can't see any of these other directors beating him because their films just weren't as strong at the Oscars. Like Lincoln... It wasn't going to happen for Spielberg again for that movie. And David O. Russell, Ben Zeitlin, and Michael Haneke, like, again, I don't think they were beating Ang Lee when Life of Pi did win quite a few technical Oscars. And the story of that year, of course, was that Ben Affleck was snubbed for Argo. So I think if Ben Affleck were in there, it might be a different story, maybe. But, I mean, he didn't get nominated. So I don't know. I sort of think he has three. And if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? I'm going to give it art direction. I think the scenery, the locations are all so beautiful. And there are so many props in every scene. The swords are beautiful. And I think all of that goes into the action and the cinematography and the direction. So that to me brings it all together. I could have given it multiple though. What about you? I could give it multiple too. I'm tempted to go with visual effects but I think I'm actually going to go with Michelle Yeoh for best actress she put herself through hell and back to make this movie happen she did not take on projects for a very long time because she knew how time consuming and challenging this role would be she tore a knee ligament (laughs) while she was making this movie the fact that she continues to do most of her own stunts 
she's such a convincing fighter in these movies. I love everything that she does in this movie, and I feel like that deserves a Best Actress Oscar. I couldn't take my eyes off her the whole movie. Love Michelle. Love that pick. Okay. I'm so excited to talk about this next movie. I like feel like I've been waiting my whole life for this. <laughs> we have Fanny and Alexander. Description here. Two young Swedish children in the 1900s experience the many comedies and tragedies of their lively and affectionate theatrical family, the Ektals. It won four Oscars, foreign language film, art direction, cinematography, and costume design, and it was nominated for two others, director for Ingmar Bergman and original screenplay. A couple of other awards, it won cinematography at the BAFTAs, foreign language film at the Golden Globes, the LA Film Critics Circle, and the New York Film Critics Circle, and Bergman won Best Director at the New York Film Critics Circle. Bergman had won two previous foreign language film Oscars before for The Virgin Spring and Through a Glass Darkly, but he never won Best Director, proof that sometimes we don't recognize the greats. And technically, he didn't even win for foreign language. It's the country. So he was nominated nine times and didn't win. This is me pretending and just being (laughs) the way that I am. I knew you were going to say that, too. (laughs) Not to make a point. It's just, it's true. It's sad. I I guess starting off, is this your favorite Bergman? I do love Bergman films. This past summer, I saw so many in theaters because IFC was doing a great series on them. But anyway, long story short, this is my favorite Bergman film. I love it. I feel like it would surprise listeners to know that I really love this movie. (laughs) And I kind of surprised myself in saying that. And because I looked up, I'd seen this before a long time ago, but I looked up what is the best version to watch because there's Uh the theatrical version, which would make sense that I should watch that for this reason, because Mm -hmm. that was what was nominated at the Oscars. But every website, every Reddit thread that I saw was like, you have to watch the longer TV version. Mm-hmm. And this is a four-part, 310-minute, a.k.a. five-plus-hour drama, saga, epic. And I was like, let's do it. I saw it on the Criterion channel. I was like, that makes it easy to split up, and it separates the acts pretty well. So I did it. Just like a Nordic family sitting by the TV every night for a week, enjoying <laughs> this Bergman masterpiece and... I found it to be so enthralling. I think I love that it's told through Alexander's eyes and this very young perspective because it gets so mystical and mysterious and you have magic playing a large part. So maybe that's why. Yeah, there's a lot to love here. Bergman himself always said he was inspired by mysteries, by the mysteries of the church specifically. And those come out here for sure. And I, you know, I can relate to him. I'm intrigued by another mystery, which is how did you like this movie? Because (laughs) (laughs) when I was watching it, I thought to myself several times, oh, no, another thing he doesn't like. A period film, a meandering film, a slow film, a movie about a woman who's trapped in a bad relationship. All of these things that you usually hate and bring up that I love, (laughs) I was really scared. (laughs) It's like, oh no, this is going to be just me like defending my movie. 
and I am not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to embrace <laughs> it and leave it at that. And I'm very excited that we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think also why I love it is that the direction is just beyond precise and such a technical achievement. I loved all of those long takes where they have these monologues, like these actors, what they are doing just Again, kept though, shocking okay. me. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love I'm a long like... take. And okay, like when Gustav just goes on these rants because he can't shut up. And like at the very end when he's at the final family gathering and just he's circling the table and the camera's doing this 360 to him mm-hmm. and everyone just ends up laughing. Like there's a joy to that. Like, I understand why you would be so worried for me. And again, I have no real answers. No, it's okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask the questions. Like, I really am not. I'm just going to, just going to live in this, this joyous moment, like a Christmas celebration for the Ekdal family. So I've never seen the TV version of this. I have it on Criterion. I have the box that has the theatrical version and the TV episodic version i'm waiting for a particular moment to watch because this movie takes a lot out of me it's my favorite but it really does it it takes a lot so i think what i'm going to do is i'm going to do it throughout 2023 like throughout each season i'm going to watch a different (laughs) part (laughs) yeah Bergman appreciates and understands seasons and the feelings associated with seasons better than any other director. And this movie, I think, perfectly captures that. So I think I'm going to do part one on Christmas Eve this year and then continue throughout the year, season by season. And I'll finish it up like maybe Christmas Eve at the end of 2023. (laughs) (laughs) So why do you think this is a movie that won four Oscars? one of the three that we're talking about today. This was the first one in history. We worked backwards. I don't know if this was a success for audiences, but just looking at the categories and where it won, there's just no contest. And I think with this being, I guess for the theatrical, it's a long movie. It's three hours, but it is such a feat. And looking at the Oscars, he had been nominated seven previous times over the previous 24 years before Fanny and Alexander. I guess I don't really know why, but again, it was just such a behemoth of a movie. And I think it, like you said about Parasite, it needed to achieve on multiple levels. And I really think it did. Oh, wow. Perfect movie. I love it. I think Bergman movies are so dark, typically. And this one certainly has darkness in it has moments that are very tough to watch that feel like there's no hope left in this world, but it begins and ends on a warm note. And that is something that Academy members can appreciate. So if his darker films didn't get this sort of success, you have to wonder maybe it's because this film does have a sort of brightness to it. I think also this is a Dickensian tale about a child, about two children, mostly Alexander though, And it's a fairy tale. It's a story, it's a tale as old as time, but it's told in this really beautiful, precise way. And Academy members do respond well to a director 
taking on their childhood, whether it's fully autobiographical, semi-autobiographical. It's crazy when you think about how many directors have been nominated for telling their own stories. And this is, in my book, the best example of that. And every other time a director has done it has fallen short, if you compare it to Fanny and Alexander. And this was also Bergman's swan song. He wanted to retire after this film. So I think that Academy voters could have seen this as a chance to celebrate him. They didn't do it in every category where they should have. But in those texts, the costume designer who won created 250 costumes for principal actors and over a thousand costumes for the extras. This was a huge production in Sweden, the biggest in history. You think about this production designer, Anna Asp, had six months to make this movie. Six months. That's it. The most one of the most beautiful movies that's ever been made. Like mm-hmm. I wish I could decorate my apartment to look like their house <laughs> at Christmas. The cinematography, the way that the colors are used, like you said, I mean it's just no competition. Zero in any of those categories. I love between the parts, the colors are so drastically different. And mm-hmm. as they descend into this hellish state in the bishop's quarters you are more and more devoid of color and starting in that christmas celebration with that like deep green that red painting and the yeah the reds and so many props it's insane how yes it's also this really rich family but the depth of field that bergman uses with his camera you just see so much and your eyes just are constantly moving my I don't know, it's hard to say, but I think my favorite part was act three, which is when it's like really, really dark and everything turns to white. All of their clothes are white, apart from Emily in a couple scenes, but there's no color. And I love that switch, but it is such a slow burn with the drama and the way that Alexander turns into this sassy little jerk is so funny mm-hmm. <laughs> he is the best <laughs> and how fanny just watches everything even though you don't have the titles of the different parts in the theatrical version you do still have all of those shots of water that i think are very intuitive to viewers watching the movie in addition to the switches and the color that we get that we're in a new chapter of this story for the family for Alexander specifically and I love the reds at the beginning like you said so indicative of the wealth and the opulence of the family I love how at the beginning we have when Alexander is we have that beautiful shot of him with his little miniatures you see I think how important theater is to Alexander and is to Bergman but I love how at the beginning we get that stunning nativity play and that's our first scene with religion in it, but how differently we see religion throughout the film because there you get it as this bit of happiness for this family. And then later on with the bishop and that white, like you mentioned, no color, you see his draconian measures and the way that he uses the church to control people and to you know, exercise his power. So I love that. I also love how faith and superstition are blended because you get the ghosts, of course, throughout the film, which I love. I love how the statue is moving at the very, very beginning that Alexander mm-hmm. sees. 
I think that that is really beautiful. And I also think it encourages you to be unafraid of ghosts in Alexander's life because the ghosts will be there throughout the film. But it's a good reminder, I think, at the beginning that it's not necessarily a bad omen, but it's it gives it that fairy tale like quality, that mystical, magical quality. And to know that those aren't things to be feared for Alexander. He has to fear real people in the world who are like currently living in his life, the bishop and that horrible woman who tells on him when he tells that story. Mm. She's awful. Yeah, the way you're roped in with the cookies and then she mm-hmm. takes that all away. I think this would be a fun movie to talk to Dana about too because it is constantly asking what is real, what is truth. Because mm-hmm. in Alexander's life, he's seeing things, he's making things up. And as a viewer, it is a bit disorienting. But that's also what draws you in. It's like, is this really happening? What are the ghosts? Is he seeing them? Are these stories he's saying about them true? Because then we end up seeing some of them. That was fun for me. And I'm sure you love the Hamlet of it all. Yeah, that's actually an act I really love. So I'm guessing that's act two, when the color switches to this brown, white, blue, sage Mm -hmm. mixture. And I really love that because that's where the party's over. We're starting to get to real life here. Life and death. We have Hamlet. We have Oedipus. We have all of these signs from literature here. But I love how we get that note specifically written into the script that this isn't Hamlet. I love that because, of course, in the moment, I'm always like, oh, this is Hamlet. And then they're like, no, no, don't tempt yourself. This is a different story. But again, those stories are they've been around for centuries And I love how important the death of his father feels. And when Emily, when you hear that scream and Mm. she's just like letting it out, no one does screaming like the actresses in Bergman (laughs) movies. (laughs) I don't know what he tells them to think of or to do, but yeah. (laughs) She was like fully curing her soul in that moment. And she doesn't even know what's ahead. That's a thing. But on rewatch, you kind of, you know what's coming and that her pain is just beginning. Mm-hmm. The way she calls it out, and it's like, I know we're going to have a deep love, but I know we're going to cause each other so much pain. Like, you believe in that line, and it's like, uh-oh, what is coming? Yeah. I mean, I could talk about this movie for hours, and I think no matter what we say, like, we won't do it justice. There's so much to unpack. There's so many things to analyze. So many works of literature... Um, both plays and novels that you can look to. Um, I thought about the Ibsen play, The Wild Duck, a lot with another Ectel family in it when I was watching this. But yeah, again, it's a it's a rich, wonderful experience, and I highly recommend it to anyone. Just give yourself the time, devote three hours or five hours to it. This watch, I watched it on the plane. I don't like to watch on my commutes, but I feel like I have to bring that up because you're always honest when you watch on the train. <laughs> And I watched this on the plane, and it was a great experience. I had no distractions, just locked into it. Yeah. The person across the aisle was like, are you good? But that's another story. (laughs) (laughs) This is an easy commute four-parter. The third part is like 57 minutes, which is like, oh, my God, you can easily do this. So for people who can't sit for five hours, know that it is doable in multiple parts, edited as such. So you can't feel like you're pausing a movie. Right. I'm interested what was cut out because if two hours were cut out, I just, I I know of one speech that I would have cut, 
but like that's five minutes. And he apparently has 24 hours worth of footage. (laughs) So. Woof. And I think ultimately, I love the end lesson of the movie, I think, which is just that the joy in life that you find, the simplicity, creativity in particular. So what we see in the theater, that's what will carry you through. Mm -hmm. Like the hard times are temporary. You can make it through in the end. Yeah. Family is always there for you. Fight for what is right. Yeah, it's hard to speak in. (laughs) It's like speaking in code. Riddles and (laughs) (laughs) not spoiling. So why do you think this only won four? Do you think it should have won for picture or got nominated for others? Well, okay. So this year at the Oscars, Terms of Endearment was the winner, which I love. I've talked about that before. Our other nominees, we had The Big Chill, The Dresser, The Right Stuff, and Tender Mercies. I would have taken out The Dresser easily and put in Fanny and Alexander for Best Picture. I'm okay with Terms of Endearment winning. I know that sounds crazy because Fanny and Alexander to me is just this like spectacular, perfect piece of high art. So obviously like that's that should be the winner. But I would be okay with a Terms of Endearment picture win bergman director win that is a perfect case of a split for me where the movie that's more audience friendly that is a great movie that's a hit that's a story about these women i mean actually fanny and alexander is a great story about women the men are awful in this movie just right horrid and alexander observes that and he sees like the importance of these matriarchs in his life Mm -hmm. so i do really love that about the film but all of that to say i think a Terms of Endearment picture, Fanny and Alexander director split would be nice. I think that would have been great. But it should have been nominated for everything, like way more. Performances especially. Like where were they? Mm-hmm. I agree about the split. We talked about Terms of Endearment previously on an episode where we talked about the back-to-back winners of picture, actor, picture, actress. That was interesting. But this was much more of a you film. So I definitely love the split here. Even though I love The Big Chill, that wasn't nominated for director. And I know you want me to see Silkwood and The Right Stuff. Oh my god. Yeah. Silkwood and The Right Stuff. Very good. I mean, looking at these categories too, we have some good nominations in places, but you could make room for Fanny and Alexander. I also give Bergman screenplay over Tender Mercies. Ugh. The Academy just, I mean, they've been losing it throughout history. So (laughs) no exceptions here. Yeah, what else could we have given it? I mean, the biggest things are just acting in picture because it wasn't nominated for pictures. Just, I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah. It definitely should have been. I don't know what Tender Mercies is or The Dresser, but you're going to talk about a swan song like this and not nominate it. I think that's unfortunate. I don't think you would enjoy Tender Mercies very much, um, but I also didn't think you would enjoy this movie very much, so... <laughs> It remains to be seen, but... um, All bets are off now. I'm going to read you the description of Tender Mercies really quick because I think it would just be funny for you to hear it. (laughs) Alcoholic former country singer Max Sledge makes friends with a young widow and her son. The friendship enables him to find inspiration to resume his career. Yawn. This is like A Star is Born. Starring Robert Duvall. And he ended up winning for actor, so... And then Bergman... Do you think there is any way that he could have beat James L. Brooks? He won director at New York Film Critics Circle, and then he was nominated at DGA and Golden Globes, but Brooks won those. 
I think Brooks was definitely winning director all along, just with how well Terms of Endearment did at the Oscars, but also like how well he did with Precursors. I think today, if today's Academy was voting, Bergman would win in a walk. I mean, he probably doesn't care about these. Like, that's always a hard thing to think mm-hmm. about. Like, I don't think he really cares about the Oscars, but I think he he would easily win because it's the technical achievement. Yeah, I would still like to see Bergman win. I don't think it wins picture. I wonder if yeah. it gets nominated today for picture. I think so. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? Ugh. Um, that is actually <laughs> very hard because there's so, so many to choose from because like the cinematography yeah crazy oh, god production design costume design but it's got to be bergman director for bergman the screenplay is also stunning like it's he's one of the greatest writers in film history to me he also inspired i mean so many directors like if you yeah. look at what other directors have said about him like they all of these directors talk about how essential he is to film history and how important his works are to like inspiring filmmakers. So I, I feel like if you have one of the greats nominated, like maybe one of the five greatest filmmakers ever, like you give him the win. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, this is so tough. One thing that absolutely blew me away were the costumes. And I really want to give that here, but I would mm-hmm. give Bergman an Oscar for screenplay in creating this huge transformative arc not only for the characters, but for the story itself. I'm not sure many people could do that as well as he does here. And bringing in so many different influences from other works and making it flow so well, again, it's incredible. It's a great feat. Well, I'm so happy that you loved Fanny and Alexander. This is so great. We got a couple of general questions about these movies. So Owen Daly asked us to pick an actor or actors from each of these films who we would have nominated um, in their respective years. Because notably, the Academy, specifically the Actors Branch, has a huge problem ignoring foreign language performances. And they ignored all of these films. Mm-hmm. Not a single performance, as you probably noticed, was embraced by the Academy. So who would you pick from each movie? These are the huge performances, easy nominations, possible wins, honestly. Song mm-hmm. Kang-ho from Parasite, Michelle Yeoh from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Ava Froling from Fanny and Alexander. Ava plays Emily, the mother of Fanny and Alexander. We talked about the screaming. Just seeing her transform from a happily married woman to this emaciated human devoid of all emotion. The struggle that she had to have gone through. Oh my God. She might be my favorite out of all of these. She's so good. And originally, Lee Ullman was supposed to play the Emily role. But I think that Froling does a great job. It's a very intense performance. Sometimes I wonder like how some of these women in his movies survive filming. Mm-hmm. These performances are so intense and take so much out of them. So I agree with that one. I would also say Song Kang-ho from Parasite. Take out Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Whatever. I don't <laughs> care. I would also include um, Lee Jung-un, who is the housekeeper in Parasite. I would have absolutely put her in supporting actress that mm-hmm. year. She should have beaten Laura Dern too. Like these acting wins from 2019, <laughs> we can talk about another time. From Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I would have put in both Michelle Yeoh in lead actress and Ziyi Zhang, who I would put in supporting actress. I feel like both of these women are incredible. Mm-hmm. 
and both deserve nominations. It's really annoying that they didn't get them considering the performance of the movie. And then I would echo you on Ava Froling, but also include Goon Walgren, who plays Helena, the grandmother, the family matriarch. She is wonderful in this movie. If she's just having conversations, if she's sitting by herself in stillness, I think she easily should have been nominated and she would have joined a great group of actresses nominated that year. I also would nominate Jan Malmsjö. That is probably an incorrect pronunciation, but he plays the bishop and mm. he is fully drained of any sort of oh life whatsoever. He's an incredible villain and this part was originally going to go to Max von Sydow, which I think he would have been great, but this actor who they chose instead, he was actually known as sort of a music man. Like he was wow. really known for his singing and dancing. So I think the the pivot here to this villain character is incredibly impressive. And um, so I would have given him a nomination as well. And then one more question we got from Owen. Do you think we're going to have to wait another 15 to 20 years for a multiple award-winning international picture? Because we did go from 1983 to 2000 to 2019. I'm going to be optimistic and say no, it will be sooner. I think seeing the love for Drive My Car this year, it break into Adapted Screenplay Director and Picture. That was encouraging. Sure, it only won international feature, but I do think as the Academy becomes more diverse and more international, we're going to see these types of films recognized more frequently. The hard part is... Big winners at the Oscars are harder to come by now, too. I feel like they do like spreading the wealth a little bit. So I'm going to be hopeful and say that we'll get it sooner than that. I would say for an international film to win four, it might be a while. But I do agree that I think we're going to keep getting, probably every year, an international film that gets multiple nominations. And I'm okay with so that, too. at least, as long as year after year the same thing doesn't happen where it just wins international even though it's getting so much praise and there are Mm -hmm. no acting nominations like I hope it keeps transforming and multiple categories different winners even multiple international films every year we had drive my car and the worst person in the world in screenplay so I'm hopeful too a big winner hopefully not 15 20 years but It might be a few. Yeah. And I will note that Roma came very close. Roma won three. It got director cinematography in international feature. So just fell short of our record that we have. So quick little mini game. We're going to play Nam or Bomb with international feature throughout the 2010s. So bomb sounds like a horrible word here because we don't usually do this with Oscar winners, but... Mm-hmm. Here, I think it means like it shouldn't have won, and maybe we can pick another that deserved the win. Right. Usually, when we consider movies bombs, it's like, oh, this is a really bad Netflix movie starring like Addison Ray or someone. It's not like a real movie. <laughs> but here, we're pick- we're picking just we're just saying bomb if we thought another movie should have won instead. <laughs> <laughs> So in 2010, In a Better World won, which was Denmark's film. I'm going to say Bomb and go with Dogtooth, which is a Lanthimos film. But I would also give Villeneuve a win for Ansundi. 
I sort of agree with you. I'm saying bomb in picking Dogtooth, and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Honestly, Beautiful could have won here too, but Dogtooth is I, just mm-mm. on another level. Highly recommend. No Inuritu for me. All right, 2011, our winner was A Separation, directed by Ashkar Farhadi. I'm going to say Nam here. I'm also going to say Nam here. 2012, Amour, which was Michael Haneke for Austria. I'm going to say Nam. Mm-hmm. Also Nam for me. In 2013, we have The Great Beauty, Paolo Sorrentino film. I'm going to go bomb and go with The Hunt for Vinterberg for Denmark. We are aligned once again. I am also <laughs> saying bomb and going with The Hunt. And I think he should have won here over another round. Yes, hot I agree. take. Okay, good. <laughs> Not so hot. It's like lukewarm in my world. Okay. <laughs> 2014, we have Ida from Poland. I'm going to say Nam. I love Pawlikowski. <gasps> oh, my God. I have to say bomb. Oh, my God. This is one of my favorite all-time noms is Wild Tales from Argentina. I have not seen Wild Tales. One of the most fun black comedy films that I've ever seen. And next we have 2015, Son of Saul from Hungary. I haven't seen all of these noms. I'm going to go with Nam here. I remember the cinematography, the aspect ratio was like a huge feat. And it's also very jarring, but good. I agree. I'm going to say Nam. In 2016, we have The Salesman again from Farhadi for Iran. I'm going to say Bomb, only because I would pick Tony Erdman. I have wanted to see Tony Erdman for so long. And I it's probably streaming now, but it didn't after the Oscars. And I was so upset. So I'm going to abstain here because I haven't seen The okay. Salesman. And the only one I've seen is A Man Called Uva, which mm-hmm. was fine. Which you would not vote for. No. Next, we have 2017, where a fantastic woman won. I go Nam. This was a good one. Um, You know what? I'll say Nam also with and say that I almost picked on Body and Soul, but I'll stick with Fantastic Woman. 2018. This was Roma's year. For Mexico. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say bomb. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to say bomb. Um, I would pick either Cold War or Shoplifters. Of movies that weren't nominated, I would say Burning, absolutely. Burning was my favorite movie of the year, and Cold War was a close second. I would even maybe flip them some days. Cold War was like beautiful five-star film for me, and I also love Shoplifters. Ugh. Really love that one. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited for Broker, his movie coming out this year. Oh my God. So I'm sorry, Roma. You can keep your cinematography and director. That's fine. Yeah, another Song Kang-ho movie. And and maybe he gets a nom here. I'll be praying. Mm-hmm. Not holding yeah. my breath, though. I would go bomb for Burning from the shortlist. Yeah. That is... Mm. Steven Yun should have... Okay, yes, Bradley Cooper should have won that year. But Steven Yun... Also, like, should have been in there to put up a fight oh, yeah. against Rami Malek. So, yeah, I think it's Steven's best performance, for sure. It's just amazing. Oh, I guess he could be supporting. Oh, that would have been nice if we had Bradley Cooper winning lead and Steven winning supporting. <laughs> wow, fixing we're fixing the Oscars today. <laughs> and then 2019, we have Parasite, of course, winning for South Korea. This is a nom. Nothing beats Parasite. Agree. I love Pain and Glory, but... I agree. No. We might as well do the last two years. Okay. So 2020, 2021, another round one. This was also Vinterberg for Denmark. 
I'm going to say bomb and pick Quo Vadis Aida from Bosnia and Herzegovina. I am the exact same. This movie blew me away. Why it didn't win. I was fighting for it. Ugh, it's so beautiful. And our last year we have this year, 2021, Drive My Car, <laughs> one for Japan. Everyone knows what you're going to say. It's fine. I know. I'm bombing for the worst person in the world. Or Lunana. I no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that you love Lunana. Or a hero, actually. My two answers are the worst mm. person in the world and a hero. I'm going to keep it and say Nam. Okay. That was fun. Mm-hmm. I love talking about these international features and three movies that we loved. And I think I'm excited to see what's coming this year. Can is happening as of this show airing right now. And that is always, I feel like, the place to look for the big international features that will be coming mm-hmm. this year. I know Neon has already picked up Broker. My most anticipated is George Miller's next movie, 3,000 Years of Longing, which will also be Ugh. a can. Saying that Neon is behind Broker, we didn't even talk about Neon, and I really wanted to because I think that had a huge part. So if they can push for Song Kang-ho, I will cry. I love how we haven't even seen the movie yet, and we're like, okay, you need to nominate Corita and director, Song Kang-ho and actor. <laughs> but the trailer is out, and it looks like it's just going to destroy, break my heart in two. Yeah. I kn- yeah. And I think one thing, too, like we need to talk about is how so many people who predict the Oscars now are like, who's going to fill the international director spot? Who's going to fill this? Who's it going to be? And it's like, why one? Let's just mm-hmm. let's make room for more. Yeah. Like more international directors nominated for best director, more than just drive my car in picture. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but I think if we talk about it more that way, maybe it can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm excited for Can and to see what movies get some really good buzz. And we'll talk about more of what's going on at the ceremony next time because we'll also be doing another Can episode, this time covering best actress winners at Can that either do or don't translate to the Oscars. So we'll be talking about three movies. Quite an eclectic mix, I will say. (laughs) Get ready. (laughs) Brace yourselves. (laughs) So a winner that didn't get nominated, we'll be talking about Kirsten Dunst from Melancholia. Now that she is a nominee, sadly not a winner, our actress winner who got nominated was Penelope Cruz for Volver. And then the winner that also won Best Actress at the Oscars is Sally Field for Norma Ray. I wonder if anyone has ever talked about Melancholia, Volver, and Norma Ray in the same podcast. <laughs> Probably not. This will be a first for that. But I'm excited to talk about all of these performances and for each one, why this actress won, didn't win, or didn't get nominated. So can't wait to do that. An Oscar Wilde special. We love to see mm-hmm. it. We love variety here and <laughs> chaos sometimes. So this will be one of those episodes. And if you like our show, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wilde Pod. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye.